Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, if you just looked at the U.S. stock market averages, you would conclude that not much happened today. But you would be wrong. Uh, Even though the S&P and the Dow and the NASDAQ were only up about a quarter of a percent or maybe 0.3 tenths of a percent, pretty pretty small days. Uh, Although, as has been typical recently, the Russell 2000 was down six tenths of one percent and the Dow Transports down eight tenths of one percent. So the markets, contrary to all the hoopla that you hear about how great the U.S. economy is, the markets are more worried about the slowing domestic economy than they are the global economy. In fact, the the cheerleader-in-chief for how strong the U.S. economy is, of course, is Donald Trump, who is constantly out there uh, tweeting about how strong the U.S. economy is. In fact, today, uh, the tweet that he put out, he proclaims that we currently have the strongest U.S. economy in history. Now, I remember when he used to tweet about how strong the economy was or that we had the strongest economy in history, he would say, oh, it's probably the strongest economy in history. I mean, he would qualify it a little bit. But now, no more qualifiers. I mean, he is emphatic. Without a doubt, this is the strongest economy in U.S. history. And of course, I don't like hypocrites. And, you know, one of the things that Trump does is he calls out the media for spreading fake news. But the problem is he spreads fake news too. When he is talking about how we have the strongest economy ever, that's fake news. So you can't, you know, live in a glass house and then throw stones. And that's what the president does. In fact, if you look at the economic data that came out this week, uh, the data, the data was weak. I mean, the ISM manufacturing number and the PMI number were weak. In fact, they weren't as weak as they were expecting, but they were expecting weak numbers. And we got weak numbers, just not quite as weak, although the construction spending number that came out yesterday was considerably weaker than had been expected. Now, it didn't cause, uh, you know, the Atlanta Fed is still at 1.5% uh, for Q2 GDP in light of of these numbers, but the U.S. economy is weakening. In fact, if you look at a chart at the ISM manufacturing index over time, look at it going back to the Great Recession, and you know you cannot tell really where the Obama economy ends and the Trump economy begins. And this is manufacturing, and this is Trump's claim to fame. When Trump was a candidate, it was the manufacturing sector that he promised to revive, and in fact. He's already taken credit for the revival, but nothing has happened. Look at that chart. You can't see any improvement. And in fact, now we're about to collapse back down, maybe to levels that we had when we had the worst economy since the Great Depression. And now we supposedly have the the strongest economy. But let me get back to what was going on in the markets. Once you get behind uh, a rather you know dull day in the equity markets, 
Look what happened in the bond market. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury falling to its lowest price of the move. We closed at one spot, 976. Yields also fell on the 30-year Treasury, not as much, uh, and we're at two spot 507, which means the spread is widening, right? So the yield curve is continuing to steepen between the 10-year and the 30-year, as I said it would. In fact, the first time I really pointed out how narrow the spread was, it was the yields were almost the same. I mean, it was only slightly higher. And I thought that was ridiculous because I said there's a lot of inflation risk going out an additional 20 years. And I thought it was a good uh, spread trade. And, and so far, that's been a good call because the spread has indeed widened. And the reason it is widening is because uh, the markets are factoring in that higher inflation that you would expect between the 10-year and the 30-year. Now, of course, once the markets really figure out just how much inflation we're going to get, the yield curve is going to continue to steepen, but with yields rising, not with yields falling. Because right now, the markets are fixated on a weakening economy and the fact that the Fed is going to cut rates. In fact, the odds of a rate cut are 100% for July, right? It's an 80% chance that they're going to cut by uh, 25 basis points. And then there's a 20% chance that they're going to cut by 50 basis points. So they're going to cut, right? The chance is zero that they're going to hike and zero that they're going to do nothing. So they're going to cut. And it's probably going to be 25 uh, points because the markets generally or the Fed generally likes to live up to market expectations unless, of course, something bad happens. If we get a big drop in the stock market or maybe a really bad non-farm payroll number on Friday, we'll see what happens. But if that happens, then maybe the Fed is going to have to cut by 50 basis points. But of course, if the number is really bad, the expectations of a larger cut will increase and then the Fed will try its best to live up to those expectations. But it wasn't just the bond market today that had a big move. Look at the crude oil market. Crude down $2.77, almost $3 a barrel. That is a big move uh, for the price of crude. Back down to 56.32. Uh, also, copper prices uh, took a big hit today. And take a look at the VIX. That thing got hammered down. This is the volatility index. We're back down to a 12 handle on the VIX today. And it looks like it is breaking down. But the biggest mover, I think, of the day was in the gold market. Gold had its best up day in, I think, eight months. As I am recording this podcast, the U.S. stock market has closed and gold prices have continued to inch higher following the close of the U.S. stock market. We're now up $34.50, about $1,418 an ounce on the price of gold. This is about the high of the day. In fact, the gold price gapped up today just like it gapped down on Monday. In fact, today's huge move up, right? This, you know, $34 move up in the price of gold, which is what, about a 2.5% gain in the price of gold, follows a $25 move down in the price of gold uh, on, on Monday. Now, that's a big move. I mean, 2% down, 2% up. You normally don't have this type of volatility in the gold market. Now, of course, I think we're going to see more days like today. I think we're going to see bigger days than today because I think gold has a lot of catching up to do. 
uh, to be where it needs to be, given how wrong the market expectations were regarding the Fed's ability to shrink its balance sheet and normalize interest rates, and how wrong the markets are in their anticipation of where future inflation is likely to be and where the dollar is likely to be. So we're going to get some big moves up in the price of gold. Uh, as far as catch up, but as far as this type of volatility where the price of gold is down 2% one day and up 2% the next day, we don't normally get that. I think it makes sense that we're getting it now as the market is just breaking out of a six year range, right? We're basically flushing out the sellers. Uh, some people still want to believe that you know there's resistance and that they can make money on the short side, but I think more people are stepping in, more buying is coming into the gold market and it is overwhelming. Uh, those sell orders. Now, maybe, you know, this type of volatility is something that you see in Bitcoin, although 2% move, I mean, that's that's normal multiple times. I mean, it, during any given trading day, Bitcoin can be up 2%, down 2%. In fact, it can be up 10% or down 10% within a span of hours, if you look at the way that market trades, which is another reason why it is so different. In fact, over the weekend, in fact, this morning, uh, Bitcoin made a new low for this move. It got down, I believe, to 9,600 before rallying back almost to 11,000. So we had better than a 30% decline uh, from a high that was near 14,000. And then inside a week, uh, the market is down by 30%. And it's recovered since then. But to me, I think that the, the high is in for this move and we are trending down. But getting back to gold and the volatility, you know, the reason that the price of gold was down as much as it was on, uh, on Monday was because of a trade deal that was supposedly uh, negotiated uh, between the United States and China over the weekend. In fact, the news of this arrangement, right, because it wasn't really a deal. Maybe it was kind of like a temporary ceasefire or a truce. Really, if you look at it, it was a surrender on the part of, uh, of, of uh, President Trump. But the news came out on Saturday morning. So the gold markets had quite some time to digest the news uh, before uh, opening for trading on Sunday night. But by the time the, uh, the gold market opened up, it gapped down, right? We gapped down uh, maybe uh, 15, 17 bucks. We stayed down all night. And by the time we moved into the U.S. time zone, uh, the market had not really recovered. And then we made new lows where we were down like 25 dollars uh, or so uh, closing near the lows of the day. Gold stocks, very, very weak. Uh, the GDXJ, which is an index of junior gold mining stocks, that was down better than 5%. Now, it was up more than it was down. It was up more today than it was down yesterday. So again, big moves in the mining sector as well. But the drop was in reaction to this deal. But there was no deal. I mean, first of all, gold prices going up have nothing to do with the trade war between the U.S. and China. I mean, to the extent that the trade war weakens the U.S. economy and causes the Fed to print even more money or cut rates even sooner, maybe there's a connection. But even if there is no trade war, even if we have a complete truce, even if we have a deal, whatever happens, the price of gold is going up because it's reacting to monetary policy, right? It's reacting to the fact that we're about to have a rate cut. In fact, maybe the market's starting to anticipate that this is the beginning of an easing cycle. And they have to start, you know, factoring out or, or taking out of the price of gold their previous expectations that we're going to keep tightening, that the Fed was going to end quantitative easing, right? Or going to continue with quantitative tightening. So there's a lot that's going on now in the gold market. And what's happening on the trade front is just a bunch of noise. It's a sideshow. 
And so I knew that when the markets were selling off gold in reaction to nothing, that it was a good buying opportunity. In fact, I tweeted so on my Twitter as soon as I saw a gold reaction, and I thought that this was a head fake and a good buying opportunity because gold's bullish trajectory has nothing to do with what happens uh, with this trade deal. But if you actually understood what was agreed to, you would actually see how weak the U.S. position actually is when it comes to bargaining with, with China. And if you were under the false impression that Donald Trump is going to deliver some type of game-changing deal with China, right, that now we're going to have the upper hand and that something that Trump is going to get the Chinese to agree to is going to be some type of boom uh, to the American economy or to you know manufacturing, then those feelings should have been laid to rest uh, over the weekend based on what actually happened. Because if you look at what was agreed to, Trump made all sorts of concessions and got nothing. Basically, the Chinese were going to walk away from the table. And so in order to keep them at the bargaining table, which is where Trump needs them, because remember, Trump needs the deal, not China. Trump is up for re-election. Trump needs a win. He doesn't care if it's a hollow victory. He just wants anything any victory that he can call a win, even if it's a loss, because the truth doesn't matter to Trump, right? He's just going to talk about how great it is, regardless of the fact that it's nothing. So he needs a deal. And so he had previously threatened the Chinese, right? There were going to be these new tariffs that were going to be imposed on Americans who buy Chinese products. See, right now there's 25% tariffs on, I think, 200 billion worth of Chinese imports. And what Trump had threatened to do was to expand that list and to subject another $300 billion of Chinese imports to those 25% tariffs. And Huawei, you know, the, the, the gigantic telecom company, you know, they're the second biggest manufacturer of smartphones in the world. And Trump had basically put out a boycott uh, banning U.S. companies from selling any, any components or any parts to Huawei. And, and this is obviously a big uh, deal for China, because this is one of their key industries, as key to the the future uh, development of their economy and domination of the global market, and you know 5G that's coming up, and so they don't want their main company to be handicapped by some kind of U.S. sanction. So Trump had put this out there, and of course they were saying that it was some type of national security threat, and so that's the reason he was able to do that. But anyway, these sanctions were there, and it was the stick, right, that Trump was going to use to beat China up with, and maybe. A carrot in that, well, if we get a good deal, then maybe, you know, we'll, you know, we'll remove these sanctions. Well, basically, not only did Trump agree not to impose the extra tariffs, right, he agreed to remove those sanctions so that U.S. companies are now free uh, to sell uh, products to Huawei. And so basically, Trump backed down from all his threats. And now we still have the, the 25% tariffs on a limited number of Chinese exports. But the broader base tariffs are off the table right now, and so are these sanctions, and now the negotiations are continuing, right? So we don't have a trade deal, but basically Trump took away his heavy artillery, and he, he retreated back to the position he was in before to get the Chinese to negotiate and not walk away. So Trump got nothing. Now, of course, he's pretending he got something. What is he saying? Well, the Chinese are going to buy American agricultural products. Well, big deal. I mean, they buy those products anyway. I mean, Trump didn't get China to agree to do anything. 
that China wasn't doing anyway. I mean, of course they're going to buy American agricultural products. I mean, obviously we make, we grow a lot of food and we export it. And to the extent that the Chinese can get a better deal by buying from America than maybe buying from some other country, they're going to buy from America. I mean, why wouldn't they? But they're not going to buy any more than they otherwise would have bought. And of course, you know, it's not the Chinese government, you know, that buys all the food. I mean, I'm sure they buy some food, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, they have some government facilities that they have cafeterias or schools or whatever, where maybe they actually procure food. I'm not really sure the mechanics of it all, but I'm sure most of the food is bought privately. I mean, it's, you know, there's free market uh, capitalism going on in communist China and the Chinese government doesn't order companies, you know, to buy food from particular suppliers. I mean, they buy food wherever they can get the best deal. They can get the best deal buying from America. That's where they buy. Nothing is going to change. Trump is trying to take credit for getting the Chinese to do what they were doing anyway. But that's fine. I mean, that's that's how Trump operates. But anybody looking at this should realize that not only did we get nothing, but we exposed just how weak our bargaining position is because we didn't impose the tariffs, right? Trump could have just followed through and said, okay, we're going to put these uh, 25% tariffs on. Why didn't he do it? Because Trump has to know that it hurts the U.S. economy far more than it hurts the Chinese economy. So it's an empty threat, right? The elections are going to be coming up. Trump doesn't want to you know, have any more self-inflicted damage on the economy. So it's all a bluff. He's not going to do anything. The Chinese called his bluff and he folded, right? That's what happened on this deal. So there was no reason for anybody to sell gold or buy dollars. The dollar had a big rally uh, yesterday on this news. Now it surrendered some, but not all of those gains today. One of the reasons might be uh, Christine Lagarde, you know, from the IMF is now supposedly going to be the replacement for Mario Draghi as president of the ECB, which I think, you know, is negative uh, for uh, the euro. Maybe not against the dollar, because the dollar, I think, is going to go down more than the euro, but it's probably negative for the euro, maybe against other currencies. And certainly it's going to be bad news for the Europeans who are going to be dealing with more inflation because uh, Christine Lagarde is a big fan of cheap money right, of keeping the interest rates low and just printing a lot of money. I mean, and now she's going to be uh, replacing Draghi. I guess I, I had hoped that maybe uh, the Germans would be able to push uh, for a, a, a stronger, uh, hard-lined uh, inflation hawk uh, to take the place of Mario Draghi. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be Dove City over there. But probably the only central bank that may be even more dovish uh, than the ECB is going to be the Federal Reserve uh, because... Um, we are going to be, you know, in recession. We are going to be, uh, you know, having basically another financial crisis. So the Fed is going back to zero. Uh, they're going to go back to QE. And of course, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Fed from the Trump administration and not just the Trump administration. There will be pressure from Congress for the Fed to do something once we are actually in a recession. Everybody thinks that the Fed has, you know, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the magic wand that it can wave just by printing money. Although the next round of quantitative easing is going to be aimed at the people, right? They're going to want to have a people's QE. It's not going to be about the banks. It's going to be about bailing out you know, Main Street, average Americans, you know, Wall Street had their bailout. So now it's going to be time for, uh, you know, everybody else uh, to to be bailed out. That's going to start uh, under uh, Trump, but it's going to continue on a much grander scale 
uh, in the administration that succeeds Trump, right? The socialist administration that, that takes Trump's place, it's going to be a complete print fest uh, because the deficits are going to be off the charts. I don't really know if the, uh, I guess, nomination of Christine Lagarde had anything to do with today's rally in the price of gold. There are also all these crazy rumors. Uh, the vice president was supposed to speak someplace uh, and then it was called off. There was some emergency and there's also something going on uh, in, in Russia with Putin and maybe people were trying to think, is there something going on? But it really wasn't affecting the equity markets. Uh, it didn't affect the oil market, which got clobbered. I mean, the treasury market went up. I mean, the foreign exchange market. So it didn't seem to me that, you know, these concerns over what may or may not be going on in some of these meetings would really, uh, you know, show up in the gold market and, and, and not other markets. Uh, so I, I think what's really going on is this this bull market. We broke out, like I said, in the price of gold, and we are heading a lot higher. And people are going to start to factor in uh, the additional rate cuts that we are beginning an easing cycle, that we're going to go back to quantitative easing. They're going to have to start factoring in the political risks, uh, which are enormous for a Democratic administration. Remember, I spoke a little bit on my last podcast about the, the democratic debates, right? And the vilification of corporate America, right? It's the corporations that are the bad guys. They're evil. And one of the reasons that uh, the Democrats believe corporations are evil is because they make profits, right? They look at profits as a bad thing. That is a Marxist view of profits, that somehow the profits are the monies that the, the greedy capitalists suck out of the economy, right? They, they make profits at the expense of their workers, right? They, they underpay their workers so they can make profits or they gouge their customers, right? They overcharge them. That's why they're evil. Profits are evil, right? And if you look at the companies that they want to vilify, right? The drug companies are evil. The oil companies are evil, right? The banks. I mean, why are these companies evil? Well, you know, drug companies, right? When you get sick, right? You have to buy drugs and, oh, they're expensive, right? So these companies are making money off of me, right? In fact, one of the things that the uh, the Democrats agreed to is that we need to take the profit out of healthcare, right? This It's not fair that these insurance companies or pharmaceutical companies are profiting off of other people's illness, off of other people being sick, right? They, they shouldn't profit from that. Think about how ridiculous that is. You know, everybody is upset when you need to buy medicine and it costs a lot of money. Because see, nobody wants to get sick and nobody wants to buy medicine, right? There are certain things that we don't mind spending money on because we like them, right? If we take a vacation, it's fun. If you buy yourself a new uh, cell phone, you buy a, a new uh, flat screen television, you buy some new clothes, right? You're, you're happy about your purchase. So you're not as upset that you had to spend money to buy those things because you want those things. Nobody wants to get sick, right? So when you have to buy medicine, you're not happy about the fact that you, you're buying medicine. You'd rather not need the medicine, right? So that's why you resent the company that is selling you this medicine and, and making you pay money. I think it's the same thing with, with oil companies, right? I mean, everybody, nobody wants to buy gasoline, right? I mean, we need gasoline because we have to drive our cars around. We, we wish it was cheaper. So we're, you know, you know, we, and then, you know, you use it. So you don't really get to, you know, you don't wear the gasoline and, you know, it's just, it just gets consumed in your car. So you don't really perceive it as, as value, even though without it, right, you can't drive anywhere. But getting back to the analysis of the drug companies where people don't realize that when you're buying a drug, you're not buying the drug, you're buying health, 
right? You're, whatever is ailing you, whatever sickness you have, the drug is going to alleviate that sickness. You're going to feel better uh, as a result of this drug. Maybe the drug is going to save your life. Maybe you've got some kind of disease, and because you take this drug, you're going to live. You're not going to die. Now, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if drug companies couldn't make a profit off of drugs, there would be no drugs. I mean, it costs a lot of money to develop a drug, especially with all the government regulations from the FDA. I mean, it's more expensive than it would ordinarily be. So one of the reasons that drug prices are as high as they are is because of the FDA, because the government makes drug companies waste so much money on unnecessary tests uh, that in order to recoup that investment, they have to charge a lot of money. So if you really want drug prices to be lower, we need more, less government. We need you know, doctors and, and, and pharmaceutical companies to be able to bring drugs to market uh, without all of the government uh, regulation. But apart from that, right, even if there was no government regulation, it costs money. There's a lot of research and development. And not every drug that you work on is a success. I mean, a lot of money is completely wasted, right? You start developing a drug and you think it's going to work and it doesn't. And you can't recoup any of your investment in the ones that fail, except you don't know it's going to fail until after it does. Now, some of the drugs that you're working on end up succeeding, but now you have to make enough money on the drugs that work to not only make a profit on that one, but to recoup the money you invested in all the drugs that didn't work. Because when you started, you didn't know which ones were going to work and which ones were going to fail, right? So it's a very expensive thing to try to cure a disease and try to come up with something that works. And if you couldn't make a profit doing it, then nobody would devote the resources or the energy uh, to do it. So if you want somebody to cure cancer, right? Well, then is it really going to bother you if they make a profit? I mean, how much is the cure for cancer worth? I mean, I hope somebody makes a huge profit curing cancer. Because you know what? The only way we're going to cure cancer is if somebody can make a big profit doing it. Because if there's no profit in curing it, no one's going to cure it. Now, maybe you can think, well, people are going to do it for humanitarian reasons, but that's not the way the world works. I mean, how many cures did uh, communist uh, uh, Soviet Union come up with, right? How many great cures are other communist nations coming up with? They're not. The big drugs are developed in market-based economies where the companies or individuals who develop the drugs reap the reward. I mean, why do we begrudge uh, people in other industries for making a profit? But we, we begrudge people in the pharmaceutical industry for making a profit, even though they're making a profit, saving our lives, making our lives better. We can't resent them for that profit. And we can't believe that if we just get rid of the profit, that the cost will come down because that is what the Democratic candidates are saying, right? If we just can take the profit out, well, then uh, everybody's going to get lower prices. No, profits are why prices are low. See, that's what people don't understand. How does a entrepreneur make a profit? By uh, offering the highest quality at the lowest cost. There's lots of competition out there. If you make a profit, that doesn't uh, evidence how much you took out, but how much you put in, right? To make money, you have to be a, 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 a you have to organize the factors of production in such a way to create value. Profit is value that is created. It's not value that is being sucked out. The value didn't even exist. 
the entrepreneur was able to organize the factors of production in such a way that he was able to satisfy human demands and make a profit in doing it. And the profit is the reward uh, for doing that. And so we want people in the pharmaceutical industry, we want them to be rewarded for taking risks and coming up with drugs that improve our lives and that make us feel better and that make us live longer. But if we turn this over to government, if we try to take the, the profits out of all this stuff, well, then it's going to be a collapse. I mean, that was what the, the, uh, the Marxists were promising, right, in the Soviet Union or in China initially, that we'll just get rid of the profits. In fact, if you remember when Barack Obama basically said, hey, we're going to get rid of the government guaranteed student loans and replace it with uh, student loans made directly by the government. He said, we're going to take the profit out. He said, look, it's not good that these companies, these banks are making a profit on student loans. So let's get cut out the middleman, right? Instead of having the government guarantee student loans, we'll just cut out the, the banks and we'll have the government directly make the student loans. We'll take the profit out and it's going to benefit the students. And I said, no way, it's going to be the opposite. And that's exactly what's happened. We have a bigger student loan problem now that the government has gotten even more involved, that the government is a direct lender than it was before when it was just uh, guaranteeing the debt, which was also a mistake. But what they've done now is an even bigger mistake. And so now students are saddled with more debt than ever before. Taking the profit out did not improve the efficiency. In fact, it's profits that make businesses run efficient. It's the, the need for a profit. You see, when you're a government and you don't have to operate at a profit, it doesn't matter how much money you lose. It doesn't matter if the amount of resources that go in exceeds the value that comes out. Right? It doesn't matter when you are a government. But if you are a private company or a private individual, if you operate at a loss, you go out of business. So they have to be efficient. They have to create value. Governments can perpetually destroy value because they could take money through taxes or they could just print it up so they can continue to destroy value, which is what they are going to do. When we turn over this economy to the government, they will destroy value. They will destroy the companies that create the value and they will replace them with government bureaucracies that will destroy that value. And this is what the markets are going to have to begin to factor in because as the U.S. economy weakens, right, uh, the odds of Trump winning a second term get smaller and smaller and smaller. And as I said on my last podcast, look at the polls. All these clowns are beating Trump. And this is while people think we have a good economy. Imagine how much wider the lead is going to be uh, when we're in recession. You know, I almost forgot to mention, but as of uh, yesterday, I believe, the current economic expansion is now the longest in history. And of course, a lot of people are going to want to brag about that, probably Donald Trump and probably the Federal Reserve, because they have helped orchestrate this longest economic expansion in our history, except it's not really an expansion. The economy isn't really growing. It's simply a bubble. And the fact that the Federal Reserve has been able to keep the bubble from deflating for as long as it has is not a good thing. It is a bad thing. And because the expansion has been so long, or the bubble rather has been so big, uh, the bust is going to be equally proportionally devastating. You know, the, the troughs are in proportion to the peaks. And the bubble that popped in 2008 was a pretty big one, which is why we ended up with a financial crisis and a great recession. Well, the bubble that we have right now is far larger than that one. In fact, that one 
uh, pales in comparison to the one we have now. Uh, so that means the bust is going to be that much worse. You know, it's kind of like, I suppose, uh, seismic activity. If you have a lot of tremors, then maybe you don't have the big one, right? But if you never have any relief on the fault, uh, then eventually when you have an earthquake, you know, it's massive. And that's what's going to happen. The Federal Reserve has kept the bubble growing, has found more and more ways to prevent market forces from correcting the mistakes that bad monetary policy created. So the mistakes have compounded. They're bigger and bigger. We have more debt than ever before. The U.S. economy is more screwed up than ever before. The malinvestments have never been this big. And so the recession that is required to correct these imbalances will be bigger than anything we've experienced. And again, as I've said before, the political realities are such that it is going to be a complete catastrophe because everything that's about to happen is going to be blamed, unfortunately and unfairly, on capitalism. And the solution to these government-created problems is going to be more government. I want to finish up the podcast, though, by just talking about, I guess, a political story. And this one has to do with with Nike and a new, uh, uh, you know, tennis shoe or you know, sports shoe, sneaker, whatever you call them, that they were making. That was a commemorative shoe in honor of the Fourth of July, Independence Day, which is coming up uh, midweek, and um, and so they were uh, launching a patriotic uh, tennis shoe, uh, red, white, and blue, and. Um, on the heel, uh, they had the original American flag, the Betsy Ross design American flag, the stars and stripes with the 13 original stars depicting the 13 colonies that became the states and the, uh, the 13 bars that also referenced those colonies. Now, as we ultimately added new states, the decision was made that the bars would stay at 13, right? And those bars would indicate the original 13 colonies, which became the first 13 states. And as new states were admitted to the Union, we would add additional uh, stars uh, into, that, into that field. And so the design of the flag would stay the same. The number of red and white uh, bars would stay the same. And we would simply add additional stars uh, to identify the new states that were admitted to the Union. Right? So, but the first American flag, of course, had 13 stars. And, and 13 stripes. And so Nike decided to honor Bessie Ross, uh, right, the, the, the creator of the original flag, uh, and put the original uh, American flag on the back of the, uh, of the shoes, which uh, resulted in, in, in Colin Kaepernick calling up uh, Nike and saying, hey, you got you to you cancel these, uh, these sneakers uh, because uh, they're, they're, they're offensive. Uh, and the problem is that these, this flag uh, was flown at a time where there were slaves in America. And so some people may be offended because they may look at this flag and they may feel or think about slavery. And apparently some people are alleging that there have been some white supremacists that have chosen to fly this flag. And therefore, uh, some people may be offended and you got to get rid of these shoes. And Nike actually did it. They actually recalled all of these shoes and now they're not going to be available for sale. I mean, whatever amount of money that Nike spent designing and manufacturing these shoes and they put them out for the 4th of July and they're recalling them all because Kaepernick says that maybe him and some of his idiot friends 
uh, are, are offended. Now, how can anybody be offended by the American flag? That's what this is. Now, we're not talking about the Confederate flag, right? I can see, all right, you're offended by the Confederate flag because you associate the Confederacy with slavery. Okay, fine. There is no Confederate flag on these shoes. It's the flag of the Union that defeated the Confederacy, right? This is the flag uh, of the nation that fought a war and ended slavery, right? And, you know, more Americans died in the Civil War than I think in all the other wars we fought combined up till maybe Vietnam or something like that. It was, you know, a lot of Americans gave their lives and a lot of them under that flag, right? Maybe there were a few more stars on the flag, but if you are offended by the original American flag, well, then you should be offended by the American flag we got now because it's the same flag. It's the same design, those 13 bars that represent those 13 original colonies many of whom had slaves, those bars are still there on the flag. There are still stars on there that represent states that used to own slaves or had that where slavery was legal. Look, this whole idea that anything that predates the Civil War somehow has to be whitewashed, that we have to be ashamed of that, that we can't honor uh, America and honor the flag of our nation. I mean, it makes no... No sense. I mean, first of all, we still have a Washington monument in uh, Washington, D.C. Washington owns slaves. Are we supposed to tear down that monument, the, fa the, the father of our country? We're supposed to not honor him because he had slaves like so many other people? What about the Jefferson uh, Memorial? He had slaves. I mean, these guys are on our money. I mean, look, I think I don't like I don't honor the Federal Reserve notes, but I mean, their pictures are there. I mean, are we supposed to replace them with other people because because they, they had slaves? I mean, look, what, I mean, the name, I mean, do we have to change the name of our country? Because the United States of America, that name, when they came up with that name, there were people that owned slaves that were involved. What about the Constitution? What about the Declaration of Independence? I mean, are all these things uh, offensive now? Because some of the people involved, you know, were participating in, in, in slavery, which was something that went on all over the world. I mean, America didn't invent slavery, not by a long shot. There was slavery in Africa. I mean, if you're upset, uh, if you're uh, African-American and you're upset that there was slavery, don't think Africa was exempt. There are plenty of slaves there. I mean, a lot, I mean and most of the slaves that were purchased in the slave trade, I mean, they, they were sold from their African owners uh, to owners in America. Right. Most of them weren't, you know, captured like Kinta Kunta Kinte, you know, just running around free and some slave guy. No, they were already slaves. In fact, where does the word slave come from? Right. It comes from Slavs. Right. So it's not just that uh, 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 blacks are the only people who have been enslaved. I mean, a lot. I'm Jewish. I mean, Jews were slaves. Right. There were a lot of slaves. And, you know, fortunately, the world has evolved beyond that. I mean, there's probably some pockets of slavery that exist in the world somewhere. And but for the most part, it's been stamped out. And something that used to be, you know, considered normal, you know, people would be abhorred uh, by that today. And I think that's progress. That is a good thing. But the fact that slavery existed is not something that we want to ignore, nor do we want to ignore our heritage or, you know, somehow find it offensive because slavery existed. And I think this is ridiculous that Nike is pulling this and allowing um, Kaepernick, you know, to to you know, to uh, to push them around with this political correctness because people are afraid. 
Now, maybe because obviously, I guess there's a lot of people in the African-American community that buy Nike. I mean, maybe they're afraid that other athletes are somehow going to find an American flag offensive, which is complete nonsense. At least Arizona. I think Arizona is so upset at what Nike is doing that I think they're trying to withdraw some subsidies that they had already agreed to Nike to build a factory or plant rather in their state. And they figured to hell with it. I mean, if you're offended by the American flag, who needs you? Which as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I mean, I don't even think I want to buy any of their shoes. Uh, because I mean, if you're an American and you think the American flag is offensive, you think the origin of the American flag is offensive, you think the Revolutionary War, think about the Americans who died to create this country. I mean, even if you were brought here, or rather, even if your ancestors were brought to this country in chains, you are not in chains. There is nothing keeping the descendants of slaves in America, right? If any descendants of slaves think that they'd have it better off if they moved to Africa, what's stopping them? Nothing. So if you descended from slavery, but you have chosen as a free person to remain in this country, then you want to honor the country. You want to honor the people who gave their lives to create this country, to give us the freedoms that we are losing, unfortunately, but you need to honor that. And how could you not honor the 4th of July, Independence Day, the American flag? Even if the current American flag has 50 stars, we wouldn't have that flag but for the original flag with 13. If we didn't have 13 colonies that bravely took arms right, against King George in England, if we didn't have those 13 colonies fighting for independence and fighting for freedom, we wouldn't be here. Right? And none of the descendants of slaves would be here either. Uh, and so when you have this kind of nonsense, especially like from a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who has got done nothing but benefit from the United States. I mean, think of the money that this guy has been able to earn. Could he earn this kind of money anywhere else in the world? If he was born in Africa, could he have earned this kind of money? Doing what? Playing football? And what is he just, just endorsing stuff? The guy has earned millions and millions and millions of dollars only because of the free enterprise system, only because of capitalism, which you have to go back and thank the founding fathers for that and thank the people uh, who fought in the revolution. And now he's offended by that. He's offended by the very thing that led to the freedom that he enjoys and the wealth that he now has. I mean, because no one see the irony of this yet because of political correctness, People are afraid to call him out. And so, oh, yes, we can't, we can't offend anybody. You know what? If somebody is offended by it, too bad, right? This is a free country, and people have a right to be offensive. And you know what? In a free country, people are going to say things, and people are going to do things that offend you. And you know what? You suck it up because that's the price of freedom. Because you know what? You're going to do stuff that, are gonna, that is going to offend other people. Who would want to live in a world where nobody can be offensive, Right? I mean, I don't want to live in that world. I mean, that would be a very boring world where nobody can offend anybody, right? I mean, some of the funniest comics, look at some of these guys. And a lot of these guys, too, are African-American, but their whole routine is offending people, right? And, of course, a lot of times they, they, they you know, they, they, it's self-deprecating. They, they insult themselves. They insult everybody, and they offend everybody, and it's funny, right? Uh, but this is not funny. This is sad. Anyway, I wanted to um, also mention... That, you know, in order of Independence Day and the founding of our nation, you know, I still have copies of my father's books. Uh, not that many left, though, but there are some copies. We have The Kingdom of Malts. Remember, that's my favorite little comic book. 
uh, that was part of the um, the biggest con, which unfortunately we ran out of a long time ago. We don't have any more biggest cons, but you can buy the Kingdom of Malts, which was uh, initially part of the biggest con, but the publishers took it out, and then my father published it. It was the first book he ever self-published, Kingdom of Malts. He reprinted it in 1999. Those are the copies I have. It originally came out in about 1980, or then he reprinted it, and I have those reprints. They're brand new. Uh, and again, they used to sell for $100, $200 a copy. Uh, they're not nearly as expensive now that I have been selling some, but I'm still selling them for much less uh, than they are selling for on, uh, on Amazon or on eBay. The Federal Mafia, uh, that's the only book uh, other than Fanny Hill, which was a pornography or considered pornography. I mean, it was, it's very tame uh, by today's standards, but back then it was considered pornography, so it was banned. And the only other book that America has ever banned besides Fanny Hill is The Federal Mafia. So if you want to own a piece of history, you could buy one of the few copies that we still have of The Federal Mafia. This is, I think, the second or third edition. I think my father did three printings of that book. Uh, this might, maybe this is the, is the, is the final printing. Uh, but anyway, I still have copies. I'm autographing these copies. And, you know, I still have a small supply, not many. So I'll probably run out of the Tax Rebel's Guide to the Constitution. Basically, my father published his own constitution. And he color-coded it. So if you don't have a constitution and you want to get one of these uh, that my dad used to sell, um, uh, I have them. Again, I'm autographing all these books, Tax Rebel's Guide to the Constitution, Federal Mafia, Kingdom Malls. Of course, it's my autograph, not my father's. Uh, but all these books are available uh, at my website, shiftbooks.com, S-C-H-I-F-F-books.com. Also, uh, I agreed I am going to be speaking at the Money Show in Dallas. That is coming up in October. I believe it's October 12th and 13th. Earlier, I think on the 3rd and 4th of October, I'm going to be back in Vegas. I agreed to speak with uh, John and Pete Nigerian. They're having a Traders Expo, uh, I think, at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. So I'm going to be speaking there. So a couple of speaking events uh, that I don't normally do. I mean, I normally do the money shows in, um, in Vegas and Orlando, but I really haven't done Dallas. So I'm going to be going to Dallas and, and, and Las Vegas uh, in in um in October. So make sure and uh, check out the websites of those events. I'm sure I'll be sending out some emails uh, to reflect my speaking sp schedule over the next several months. Uh, of course, again, I'm going to be in New Orleans November 1st through the 4th for the New Orleans Investment Conference, which I go to every year, which is one of my favorite conferences. Of course, the next place I will be speaking is Freedom Fest. Uh, there's probably still some tickets available. Freedom Fest July 17th, which is coming up, what, in a few weeks in Las Vegas at the Paris uh, Bally's Hotel. Uh, I'm going to be there again with my entire family, uh, my wife, three children. We're all going to be there. So if you're there, stop by. We'll have a booth. Uh, it's Again, it's one of the events that I look forward to. I don't like the weather in Vegas in July, uh, but I like everything else about the conference. Mm -hmm.